Well, in the 12 hours between us recording this episode on Tuesday night and releasing it on Wednesday morning, a lot happened in terms of Grizzlies news. One piece not so good, the other piece very good. So for the not so good, Stephen Adams reportedly will be out three to five weeks with a PCL sprain in his right knee that he sustained in the Phoenix Suns game on January 22nd. Obviously, this will be a huge hit for the Grizzlies. Stephen Adams is so essential to what the Grizzlies do, especially from a rebounding perspective and and defensively in a lot of ways, allowing Jaron Jackson to roam. Um, He also provides... uh, you know, back-breaking screens on the other end. He and Joss' two-man game is essential to the Grizzlies' offense as well. So it, it will be a, a big challenge not having Steve-O in the lineup for this amount of time. If there was one stretch to where you had to, to choose for this injury to happen, it would happen around the All-Star break, and luckily that's exactly what the timeline suggests. The earliest Steven Adams would be back, most likely, is the February 15th game against the Utah Jazz at home. Notably, that is the last game the Grizzlies play prior to the All-Star break where they take uh, a seven-day rest in the middle of the season to um, to both have the All-Star break festivities, but it is a, a time for everybody to reset before the fourth quarter of the season, if you will. Now, the first game after All-Star break is February 23rd at Philadelphia. And so this is still within the the three to five week timeline. So if he doesn't come back on this game, he would probably be expected soon after that. Notably, this would be against Joel Embiid on the 23rd. And so if the Grizzlies didn't want to bring him back immediately for that matchup, it would be understandable. Um, but Steven Adams, they'll be without him for the next three to five weeks, and he could miss up to you know, a dozen games or so in this lineup. We'll, we'll see how it goes there. The other piece of news, which was a lot more exciting, is that Danny Green is expected to make his season debut on Wednesday, February 1st at 6 p.m., so less than a week from now. This was announced on his own podcast inside the Green Room. He also mentioned that the organization had, had really uh, served him well during this time of, of rehab, and recuperation, he goes out of his way to praise the Grizzlies, and he also mentions again that he would uh, love to stick around past this year. We're going to discuss Danny Green on this podcast, given that it is a trade deadline uh, pod, and um, it is an interesting piece of news that we are going to see Danny Green actually on the floor prior to the deadline on February 9th. He himself earlier in the season mentioned that he did not expect to be back prior to around All-Star break, and here we are. So we're ahead of schedule, uh, and the Grizzlies will get a chance to see Danny Green because we need him very badly in our wing rotation, as we've noted on this podcast many times in the last month or so. So big pieces of news there that have uh, an impact in the next few weeks, and if we had known this, there might have been some more conversation about it on this podcast, but I think overall everything that we discuss here would still hold true even with this news. So without further ado, enjoy the trade deadline primer with Matt Herdlicker. What? 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 What?
edition of the Grizz Den podcast. We will start off every podcast uh, with the crucial stats. Memphis Grizzlies 31 and 16. That's good for third in the NBA. They're 11th in offense, still holding on to first in defense despite a recent three-game losing streak. I'm here with Ty and Kraft, but we also have a very special guest who joins us about this time every season, right before trade season really kicks off, it is Matt Herdlicka. Matt, welcome to the show again. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be be here. Talk some Grizzlies. Absolutely. Well, let's first get started because um, this we're recording on Tuesday night, January 24th. The Grizzlies play the Warriors tomorrow night as, as the fourth game in a five-game road trip, and it hasn't gone so far as planned. Matt, what have been your... Obviously, we don't want to be too prisoner of the moment, but what have been your thoughts so far uh, up to this point in the season? And then off of that, kind of where are the um, either problems or opportunities, as you could see from this recent losing streak that have been presented as we move into trade season? Yeah, so my, I mean, from a big picture standpoint, you know, like you said, you never want to be prisoner of the moment. You never want to get too high or too low. I think... I mean, like when I think about how the season could have gone and what my expectations were coming in, I mean, like pretty much everything the front office and the team has wanted to do has worked, you know? I mean, if you think like, I mean, you look at their draft, they brought in was five rookies. Um, The two that get minutes, I mean, Roddy looks pretty good. I mean, his numbers are terrible, but like he looks like an NBA player and that's like... I mean, there were some draft boards that didn't have him getting drafted. So that looks like, you know, a potential hit. LaRavia is still, you know, going by the Santi Aldama rule. Like, he'll just be awesome next year. So, you know, we got that to look forward to. Um, And, you know, even the Conchar extension looks good. Like, you know, the team, the front office made a bet in the offseason. And I was pretty skeptical at the beginning, and I kind of talked myself into it. But, you know, the bet was we can get rid of Melton, we can let Kyle Anderson walk, and we'll be all right. You know, um, I think that that was, I think that was a pretty decent-sized gamble for for what those players, you know, because last year everything was about generating turnovers, getting out in transition. And if you look at their transition numbers, they're kind of the same as last year. Like, they're generating about as many points in transition as they were which is kind of amazing, you know, it just seems like they have this, you know, formula that continues to work. And I thought their formula was going to change and it really hasn't. It's just that like the defense is better because Jaron has really made the leap. And that's the other part of the season is like Jaron has gone from inconsistent, can't stay on the floor in, in, in high pressure moments, specifically in the playoffs. Um, And, you know, He's just been better across the board. He's like, I think at one point, I don't know if he still is, but he's like historically blocking shots. Like at one point it was like you were more likely, Nate Duncan had this stat, you were more likely to get your shot blocked if Jaron was hitting you at the rim than you were to make it. Like not just miss. It's like he was going to block you 
before you were going to make the shot, which is kind of mind-boggling to consider. So, like, you know, yeah, they're on a three-game losing streak. West Coast trips are hard. These teams are pretty good. Like, they're playing good teams. Um, you know, you you can lose those games sometimes. So, uh, you know, uh, big, big picture is, like, the formula is held. The losses in the offseason didn't hurt us, and Jaron has really made a leap here. That's that's kind of like my, uh, you know, big picture take. 100%. Well, you wrote a few columns uh, that, by the way, we should have plugged this at the top. You have a Patreon where you write periodically about the Grizzlies, and um, it's one of the best subscriptions, in my opinion, you can have as a fan because you, you break things down really well and provide proper context, but you also will get into you know some actual steps that the Grizzlies could take, and you, you give context around those as well. Let's start off with, with your trade deadline context uh, mm-hmm. column that you wrote, and could you speak a little bit to the Grizzlies' financial situation in the next couple of years and what they're having to um, yeah. what they're having to work with. So actually, Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast today um, with Bobby Marks, and he was saying basically like the Bain extension and the Dylan free agency are the two big pieces about like how much this team is going to cost going forward because you got Jaron locked in, you've got Ja locked into his supermax, and then you've got like basically rookie players from from then on out um and a couple like key extensions you got three veterans signed for the short term but like the big swing is bane at the beginning of the year i was thinking of him as like mid-20s um per year 20 million or like 25 million 28 million and his max is like i think it's 32 or 34 and that's a pretty steep jump i mean you know that's let's call it 8 million right there that's a player so, you know, now the choice is like basically I think what I worked out is like if Bain gets like 30, which is a little bit below his max, and Dylan is at somewhere between like 18 and 20, you can kind of keep everybody, but it gets really tight and you have to kind of like – like you're not going to be able to re-sign Tyus. Um, he's got this year and next. He's, so he's signed for next year, but after that like – you don't get Tyus Jones anymore, or you are trading. Um, there's plenty of ways out of it, though. Like you trade uh, Brandon Clark, who will be starting like twelve and a half million next year. You trade him for a first round pick. Suddenly, you've got you know, let's call it an extra ten million to play with. Um, so really, the choice is like if you if you see the model of the team as like the three stars, Ja, Jaron, and Bain. And then the kind of like the plus one, Dylan, some other guy around twenty million. You have to sacrifice one of your depth pieces. It's either um, Adams, Tyus, or um, Clark. Um, you know, or you're you're starting to do something like maybe you trade Zaire, maybe you trade Zaire and, and Jake because Jake actually is going to have a big number coming up in like two years, um, a bigger number. So, you know. Um, some of the trades I was actually like, I'm more interested in trading Jake, uh, just because his number is going to be higher than whoever we draft, you know, this year or whatever. Um, but that's kind of like the situation. It's, it's basically that Bain has taken another step and is like somehow increased his usage, but also his efficiency. And he just looks like a star. So you pay the stars the money and you can't get them for 25 million. You get them for 30 million. Um, and that makes a difference. 
Where are you on Dylan? Because I know you mentioned, I think it was before the start of the year, as far as like things to watch, how mm-hmm. the Grizzlies are in, in a bird's rights trap with Dylan. Mm-hmm. And they're at a point where, you know, they can either trade him for an asset now or they can risk losing him without having the cap flexibility to replace a player like that at his level. Where are we on on Dylan at this point? I mean, we're still in the bird rights trap, basically. <laughs> I mean, you know, like they if he gets an offer and the Grizzlies decide to let him go, they cannot replace him. They have to trade other guys or picks to trade him. That's a gives him a ton of leverage and like you know it doesn't take much for an agent to be like yeah I got I got 22 million here can you beat that they're gonna start him you know can you beat that 23 okay I got 23 you know it like it keeps creeping up and at a certain point you're not looking at trading one depth guy you're trading two I don't think it'll get to that point but like you know he I don't think they're going to trade him right now. I think that that is too big of a risk. I do think he is, like, I really value his defense. He's a great defensive player. His um, ability to get over screens and his ability to ball deny is is huge in the playoffs. Like, you just can wear guys down doing that. Um, and actually, one of my best, tri- my favorite trade targets is another guy like that. And I just think that it kind of like lends, it 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 leans into the Grizzlies' superpower. Um, but like, yeah, I'd rather have somebody a little bit more efficient who was maybe a little worse defensively or kind of the same defensively making that twenty million next year because the team would just be better. Um, but you know, like I just don't think they're going to trade him. I think I think. You know, if the season goes a little bit differently, I think those Dylan Brooks trade talks are a little bit more palatable to the team. But they're in, they're the, they're the number two seed. They're only trading Dylan for a better player. Basically, they're not going to trade him to give up a fir- to get a first round pick or something. I always get sort of nervous about the culture, like messing with the culture. Is that you know, when you think about these kind of trades, because. Like, I agree, I would rather, like, in theory, on spreadsheets, mm-hmm. right. um, have what you talked about. A player that's more efficient, that maybe even slightly less defensively. Uh, but, but like, that whole, when players are saying Dylan's the heartbeat of our team, mm-hmm. you see how much he matters in pre- and post-game stuff, and all those sorts of things. How do you, like, how would you think about going about that? Um, trying to... You know, wonder about that. Or what are your thoughts about that risk? Taking that risk of trading. No, I out? think you know. I was t- I was having a chat with somebody today on Twitter, and I was like, you know, the more I, th- I am a fan of the NBA, and the older I get, the more sensitive I am to that. I used to just be like spreadsheet, like efficiency. That is all that matters. You know, because there was so much, there was so much to gain just by shooting more three pointers and playing faster and all this stuff that the teams basically it's all filtered down. So like what's left is, you know, you can, you've, you've squeezed that. And what's left is all of the strategy, all of the cohesion, all of just the, these guys know each other and they know like how to play together. And I normally do like on another team, I would discount it. If I wasn't a Grizzlies fan and I was like, you know, Dylan's too efficient. Look what he did in the playoffs last year, yada, yada, yada. Like, but I, I mean, we all watch this team every night and we know how important Dylan is. And there are just some nights that like the team just plays hard 
in general, they they don't take nights off. I mean, and and like the national guys talk about it, like like they've just hit really good teams in the mouth, and the other teams just like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to do this tonight. Like, let's just, it's fine. You guys win, whatever. And Dylan, I think, is a lot of that. So like, I don't discount it with him, you know. But having said that, um. Like, next season is not already written, you know? Like, this stuff can change on a dime. Dylan gets paid. He gets... Maybe he starts thinking, I want to take more shots than he... Because he has, like, ratcheted down his shots a little bit this year. You know, they've got, like, this tenuous balance right now where the shots are going roughly where they should. You know, Dylan isn't making as many. But he has, like, valuable offensive skills, too. Like, he can get draw fouls like he he can just barrel down to the rim and get a foul and there's only really like jaw's really the only other guy like desmond doesn't do that he he when he doesn't he doesn't just put his head down and get a foul maybe he will soon i don't know but like and he probably does draw more fouls than dylan like if i look at the stats maybe he does but there are times where like you just see oh dylan's going to the rim and he's going to either throw up a crazy shot or he's going to try he's going to try to get fouled and he does it a lot so, like, I agree with you. Like, he, I don't discount his, like, the soft, you know, value of his locker room and leadership and all that stuff. And just his, like, desire to compete on defense, I think, does filter down. And it makes everybody else, it's just like Ja on offense, you know? Like, I've talked here a lot, but, like, Ja makes everybody else's life better, easier on offense because he's taking the hard job. So if he takes the hard job... We, Desmond can be the secondary creator, whereas Dylan on, okay, I got Steph tonight, or shit, I got Zion, he's guarded Zion, he's guarded Cat in the playoffs, like, I'll take that guy, it makes everybody else's life easier, Jaron can do his thing where he comes in from the weak side, and like, that that means a lot, you know, because you replace that with anybody else, almost anybody else in the league, and that gets worse, you know? So getting into, you know, realistic trades... One thing that we did on our last podcast was do kind of a trade value ranking of, of where we ranked the Grizzlies assets right now. And overall, you know, we, we all had, you know, obviously Ja at the very top and Jaron and Bain um, right after that. And then once you get to four, there starts to become sort of a debate. <laughs> where, where would you what would you put at that next slot in terms of their their assets to trade? Yeah, Zaire probably. Um, and then maybe the Golden State pick, and then Santi, probably. Am I forgetting somebody? Because you can't, the thing is, you can't trade Brandon Clark right now, because he's extended. More or less, you can't, you can trade him to a cap space team, but you can't trade him to anybody, everybody. And that matters, like, that hurts his trade value until the offseason. Um, you know, Steven, I'm just going through it, Steven, Tyus... I wouldn't take either of them over those three that I mentioned. Um, am I forgetting anybody? Like Dylan's an expiring. The other team's going to be in the bird's right trap. So, you know, that's – he would be behind Santee and behind Golden State pick. The other – like the Golden the, – the, the Grizzlies' own first aren't worth anything to other teams anymore, you know? So and, – and the Gobert deal and everything kind of made the precedent of you've got to give us all of it. And you got to push it as far out as possible. And I don't think the Grizzlies want to make. I mean, there's nobody there that's gonna. You're not doing that for OG Ananobi. You're not giving up your, 
like seven picks for him. You know, you're letting somebody else do that insane thing. Um, so I would I would probably go I would go Zaire over the Golden State pick, then I would do the Golden State pick, and then I would do Santi probably. Am I forgetting somebody? We had some combination. I mean, up there uh, with those three guys, I feel like we all or I mean, the pick. Honestly, you, you're valuing the pick a little bit more um, mm-hmm. than we did on the podcast. Yeah. But I, I do think like when you're when you're looking at it from an outside perspective, teams, other teams probably value that pick. Um, based on some potential volatility. And like you said, the Grizzlies zone, it's a lot more predictable. I think that the Grizzlies is going to be in the high 20s versus that Golden State pick, I think is still. Yeah, I'm not really considering like the Grizzlies own 2029 first. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like the 2023 pick. No, I'd rather have the Golden State pick than the 2023 Grizzlies pick, you know. I think it's interesting that you, so so you are, uh, you're still pretty high on Zaire. Um despite kind of where he's felt, you know, uh, where he's been, obviously he was injured most of the year, but, um, how, how he hasn't, he's looked a little, you know, up and down so far, but the, you know, he's only played a few games, but you're still pretty high on, on him. And you think teams would be high on him as well. So like, I'm, I'm simultaneously disappointed in his, in how his season has gone and also still pretty high. Like, I don't think, I think his spot is the one that needs upgrading for this postseason. But long term and around the league, he's six foot ten. He plays hard. He is has shown he's willing to play a role. He's athletic. He his dribble game is like it's the same as it was last year. It's it's not really there, but it's it's like baby like against the terrible teams, he will dribble. And against the terrible teams, he will pass. And everybody else, he's like, I'm I'm staying in the corner or I'm dunking and that's it. And like, you know, that's still valuable because he's still so young. And everybody needs that. There is not a single team in the the NBA that would not have a spot for Zaire. Um, You know, but at the same time, I'm not really comfortable going into the postseason with him and John Conchar as like the third wing. Like that is the spot to me that needs the the if you're looking for a marginal upgrade that's that's the spot you know because you can't play Tyus the Tyus job backcourt doesn't isn't good isn't great um isn't going to be good enough to win a playoff series so it's just right there you know that's that's the spot that you know you need to upgrade so speaking on that a little bit i mean i know this is maybe wish casting a little bit but it feels like everyone around the Grizzlies fan wise has just completely neglected Danny Green as an actual contributor. Mm-hmm. In your mind, is there any chance he is that third wing that you were just talking about? Like again, if we go back to in theory and on paper, what he was doing even last year would be just like perfect. And I know like yeah. he basically has one knee left. Um, but at the same time, like a six six guy who can, you know, not defend great but can hold his own. And is a career high thirty-ish, you know, percent three-point shooter, especially if him just chilling in the corner. Yeah, are we completely dismissing him too much, or should we consider like, hey, let's let's wait and see what he looks like in April? You know, I mean, I I just discount that until I see it because I mean, like, what else am I supposed to do? You know, like I sure. don't yeah. think it's. I mean, sure, there's a world where he comes in and it can do 
can can supplant John uh, Conchar and Zaire to the degree that like could swing a playoff series. But like you said, you know, the last time we saw him, he was limping off the court. He hasn't played. He hasn't played since. You know, I just I take that I take what has happened, and like am willing to be proven wrong. You know, like he comes in and looks good, then you know I'm gonna be writing. Hey, Danny Green looks good. <laughs> you know, he looks back. Um, but even so, like, you know, he, he, in theory, yeah, he's, he's got like, he has done the job before. Um, you know, but I look at, I look, I, I would not let that, the team has more information than any of us. And I, they all say they want to keep him. Um, if they, if they keep him, I, w- I definitely wouldn't want them to buy him out. I would just look at like Green, Conchar and Zaire those three, those are three shots at basically one guy who's going to play in the playoffs. Because, you know, Tyus is going to play, Clark is going to play. I would want Santi to play, and then it's one of those three guys, and that's it. Like, well, that's not really it. It's like the same thing we saw in the Timberwolves series where you're just mixing and matching guys, you know? So those are three guys for, like, the one spot. And, you know, if Tyus doesn't have it one night, maybe you take Tyus out and you roll Bane in as like break glass of in case of emergency we need just hyper efficient scoring all the time and we're going to play Danny Green next to him um which in theory should work you know so you know i don't think you're wrong but it's like bird in the hand is like he's injured <laughs> the bird has a broken wing so we'll see you know yeah, I, I, i'm not I discounting know it's a, it could happen sure i mean i think personally i'm probably discounting it a little bit but i just I think back to, like, even Otto Porter last year in the playoffs for Golden State, like, coming off a pretty major injury, a little bit of an older guy. Again, still a lot younger than Danny Green, maybe less proven than Danny Green. But, like, he killed us in the playoffs doing simply, like, getting random rebounds and just hitting shots. Like, it didn't take a lot. Um, And I just look back and be like, God, Danny Green could even be that. Like, how special would that be for us? Um, We're just so limited um, in that spot. But, we, yeah, I was just just curious on the Danny Green thoughts. Yeah. On on and kind of just to back up that note because I'm somebody who was fine with the Melton trade, uh, like or the the regular season. I was somebody who was pretty pretty bullish that we would still be fine in the regular season. But yeah. it is funny that now I'm starting to wonder if us trading, forgetting Roddy and Danny Green, if now as we're looking for a marginal upgrade for the playoffs, if that wing depth and obviously Melton ha- hasn't been great in the playoffs either. But he might be somebody that would be better to trade for an upgrade mm-hmm. uh, to have now as an asset, potentially. I don't know. But what – I mean, do you think kind of revisiting that trade is not just like – you know, obviously we've been fine in the regular season mm-hmm, without Nelson mm-hmm. so far. But what about is kind of making that trade in the summer uh, when we were saying we're about the playoffs now and, you know, and that mm-hmm. trade doesn't seem to be making us better, at least short term, for the playoffs? Yeah, Melton has been good and better than I thought he would be in Philly. I I just we had too many small guards. It like you know Conchar wouldn't have emerged, um, and that's not a reason to keep Mel to 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 say like oh he's because Melton's better than Conchar. But like we just had too many small guys. We still have kind of like too many small guys, um, you know, because we're really talking about. John, Tyus, and Bain and Conchar are all relatively small. Like, Conchar plays bigger and Melton played bigger, but in the playoffs, 
like that, you can't play all those guys. You're not playing, like we're talking about trying to play four big small guards right now and it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Like, you know, um, or like one of them will be like the, the spot we're trying to upgrade. Um, I'm fine with it. I, I think that like, you know, it, just just from expected value, like getting the 23rd pick and expiring contract for Melton was probably good um, because he wasn't going to get he wasn't going to net you more than that a year from now. Like he might be a better piece to seek for a marginal upgrade, I think is what what, what one of the things you were saying. But like, what is that trade like? You know what I mean? Like it, it takes two to make that trade. Not every team is going to be in on Melton, and the Grizzlies found one that was. So you kind of make the trade and reset. They they reset the clock, and and now they have David Roddy for you know eight years instead of like they did it when they could basically you know. And I think yeah. I think also that's one thing too. Sorry to like I saw you picking up your mic, but um, like the twenty third pick was just when they could do it or whatever. Whatever the Roddy pick was, it was when they could do it. Um, if it would had been if Philly had been the twenty eighth pick, they would have done it at the twenty eighth pick. It wasn't about like getting the twenty third pick; it was about drafting Roddy, and they they knew they were going to get him wherever they could get him. So now you know half an hour in, let's get into some some actual <laughs> trades. Uh, what are the top few trade opportunities that that would get you uh, excited? So, like the best player is probably OG OG Ananobi. And in that type of a trade, you'd be sending out Dylan, probably, probably. Um, and then the other three that I think are pretty interesting, less so is like Gary Trent Jr. Um, and then the the uh, the the other two are Malik Beasley and Alex Caruso. Caruso is the one that I think, like, if he, I don't think the Bulls are going to trade him. That's basically the only problem I have with this idea because um, they still want to win. But Caruso gives you another point of attack, smaller defender, who's actually probably better than Melton at the job you need him to do in the playoffs, which is ball denial, um, fighting over screens, um, positional defense. Melton was fantastic as like a pick your pocket, like off the weak side. Like he got steals by just getting in there. Caruso is more of like a Dylan a smaller Dylan, basically, he just baldenized the crap out of people. Um, so he would be like the number one guy. And also because I don't think the price would be like exorbitant for him. Um, and then Malik Beasley, it's it's a worse defender than Caruso. Like he's he's probably overrated defensively, I think. Like I've never been super, super impressed with him. But he um, he shoots. Like he shoots a lot, and he would definitely be a th- the probably the better, the best three point upgrade for the Grizzlies. So, um, as like your fourth or third wing, who like he he's fine defensively. Like he wouldn't kill us, and then he would just ratchet up our de- like you know the ball gets to Zaire in the corner so often, and like it hasn't been going in recently. If it gets to Malik Beasley. Like it's going, it's going in, it's going up and it's going in. Um, so those would be kind of like, and I think of those guys, Beasley is the most realistic because I think the jazz probably want to trade him and he's got a team option for next year. So he's not just a one-year rental. Um, Caruso is not a one-year rental either. 
and then um, he gives you a little bit of Dylan insurance in case Dylan like gets crazy and frisky in the off season and wants like you know over twenty million dollars. You, you at least have you at least have an incumbent who can quote unquote be a starter. You know you're taking a step back, but you're not like you're not punting the year, and you still have space to like develop Zaire and stuff. So those would be kind of like the guys I'm not considering like Jay Crowder. I didn't even write about Jay Crowder because I just don't think they're no, nothing against him. I think he's too similar to Santi and like Brandon Clark. And like, I think he's just a power forward at this point. So you mentioned uh, Dylan in regards to the OG uh, trade. Are you mm-hmm. saying that because you think that the Raptors would, would call for Dylan or are you saying that because you think the Grizzlies would rather deal Dylan than a guy like uh, Zaire or even maybe multiple picks or, or even down the line to our rookies right now? I mean, it just gets back to those like soft factors we were talking about earlier. It's like, who comes off the bench? You have now six starters. And, you know, is OG coming off the bench? Probably not. Is Steven Adams coming off the bench? Well, that kind of jacks with your usage because he's so low usage. The other guys want the shots. So OG starts. Dylan probably comes off the bench. And is that is that going to work? Not from what I know about Dylan Brooks. <laughs> like, you can ask that man to do a lot. Like, he's willing to guard pretty much anybody, but not from the bench. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, they could do something wild where Jaron plays center and Steven Adams comes off the bench, you know. But I, I just think, like, I would assume culturally Dylan is, like, heading out either – to Toronto, or if they don't value him, you find somebody who will give you a first-round pick, and that's part of the deal, or whatever. Like, OG is pretty much the only guy that I would trade, I would put Dylan into a trade for. Like, I think otherwise, you live with the team, you live with the model of the three stars plus Dylan, plus the peripheral pieces, and that's your team. Uh, OG's like the only guy I would say, like, okay, um, that's worth messing with this you know to the degree that trading a starter is is messing with it so that that's more of the reason i think toronto would value like zaire and jake like they love six foot eight guys who could do everything and zaire's six foot ten so they can play him at center because they don't have any (laughs) you know so um yeah Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So sticking with the OG point a little bit, um, I know this has been like the topic, you know, of discussion ever since his name popped up in the summer about he was maybe not quite content with his role with the team and maybe looking elsewhere and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I kind of 
I kind of sold the thought. I kind of sh- I kind of shipped it out like a, a week or two ago, and I was like, yeah, that's just not. Mm-hmm. I think it would take too much. I think it's just not not a great idea, all that kind of stuff. And honestly, the last like couple of days, I've like returned to it. Maybe because Dylan's really struggled, especially offensively, sure. the last week or so. Um, one of my things is if you just look at like, and I we saw your tweet earlier today about how you and Harrington had talked about that after we drafted Jaw or something around that time. Yeah, I feel like the like. OG truly becoming available, if that is indeed true, is such a rare thing. It's like yeah. this This honestly kind of shouldn't be happening, right? Like a player of his caliber. I know he's not like an all-star and all that kind of stuff, but the fit on our team, it's just like it's almost too good to be true that a guy like that would become available. So what I keep coming back to is like, should we really, like should we go for this? Like, mm-hmm why not kind of go for this? Like, cause you mentioned Dylan making 20 million next year and all that kind of stuff. Like OG is arguably a better player and that's what he will be making next year and potentially the year after that. So it's like, he fits in the contract category. He fits with our style. He fits everything. Yeah. And back to the, you know, I get the culture aspect of things. I get Dylan's like, locker room presence is really strong but honestly like offensively he doesn't really play with a lot of chemistry with the other guys he's kind of just doing his own thing a lot regardless right so Mm -hmm. i feel like plugging og who's kind of played a similar role and very you know good offenses in the past i feel like it's just kind of seamless so a part of like a part of me is like trying not to align the stars um so I guess what do you think you just don't about? Want to get hurt. I don't. I don't want to get hurt. <laughs> but a part of me is like, let's like this could really change our franchise, not now, but like moving forward. So a part of me is like, why would we not do this? I mean, there really is no reason to, other than you're going to get outbid, probably. Um, I just think I think he's going to the Pelicans. I really, I just think like they need two way players way more than we do. They don't have any. They don't have a like if you look at their roster, they've got a bunch of offense players and a bunch of defensive players, and like their defensive players can't shoot and their offensive players can't defend. Um, they've got Trey Murphy, and that is it as far as like and like Jose Alvarado, but you know, I, like get real, he uh, like I mean they should go for him, but you know they're gonna probably get outbid, and then you have to outbid the bid, and then. You know, now suddenly you're up to like four first round picks. Like I I would definitely like trade Danny Green, trade Jake Valeravia, trade Zaire, put them all in the deal, put our twenty twenty three first, put I'm fine with all of that. Right right off the bat. I'm even fine trading Dylan and getting another first round pick and throwing that in the deal. Maybe it's two, whatever. After that, it's like I don't know. That's 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 a little bit too much. Because at least then I can talk myself into like Golden State pick being like possible, you know, shot in the dark that maybe that's a lottery pick and we can reset and 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 draft you know a guy there. But um, starting to talk about trading the entire draft where you're locked in. I'm not so concerned about the picks. It's that we can't make a trade after that. Like you're locked right. in and that's it. And OG, then you're in the bird's right trap. Um, I mean, if I had a crystal ball and I knew what was happening with the extension rules, like, and because he's not extendable right now, you can't extend him because he's going to want too much money. It's the same thing with Dylan. If I knew the extension rules were loosened up, 
I would throw in more probably because I agree with you. Why not do it? Like he's better than Dylan. Probably he's probably better than Dylan. Um, and if, if I knew Dylan was okay coming off the bench, then I would throw in more and keep Dylan, you know, I just don't, I don't know, you know, I would assume he's not right. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's a great point. Um, about the kind of competing with the Pels. I just kind of kept going back. We were talking about this earlier today, actually. Um, Kraft is big on, like, they can outdo anything we offer. Um, I think one thing that's interesting, he would he would be coming off the bench for them, you would you would think, right? Like, especially if the small – like, they're not going to bench Ingram. Um, would Zion play the five? Like, I don't know where that goes from there. Like, maybe he would. I'm not sure. It would get sticky, yeah, right? Yeah. Similar with, like, us keeping Dylan. Like, that would be kind of strange. And – Kind of to your point, like I was just looking at their roster for like salary matching purposes, and it's like Devontae Graham, is that their salary match? Like what are they, you know, the Raptors don't value him, neither does another team. So like if we were to involve Dylan, like a team that comes to mind, like what do you think Cleveland would give for Dylan? Like they are starving for a three guard that can do what Dylan does. Do they have anything? I don't know if much. they have anything left. They've got a, I mean, they plus, have a couple, J- plus JB you know, loves them. They have a couple JB future firsts they could throw in. They have Isaac Okoro, who's a younger player they could throw in. Like they have some stuff. And I don't know. It's just an example of like, I feel like if we did involve Dylan, to your yeah. point, not necessarily go into the Raptors, but like who's to say the Lakers wouldn't be dumb and throw one of their future 20, 27 or 29 somewhat protected for Dylan on that on that roster yeah. like they could definitely use him too right so I, a part of me thinks if we got really really creative and look to find more assets by using Dylan I feel like we could make a very 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 competitive offer um yeah so I'll, I'll stop there <laughs> I'm talking myself into it but like what is the what is the ceiling at that point like what is y'all ceiling for an OG trade because he's like the most interesting all the rest of these guys it's like salary first round pick maybe Jake Laravia and that's it like OG's the one guy that we would throw in more for so like what is the ceiling for y'all yeah would you would you give up the goal uh, I was trying to would you give the Golden State Warriors pick up for OG like if I could keep Dylan yes um, okay I would because I just you're still probably talking about like at best the twelfth pick or something, you know. So I would do it. I yeah, I mean, I think it. I think if you look at our ceiling now, and like if you ask yourself the question, like what is our current ceiling? Consider you know, involving our future first and all that kind of stuff. Like what is it now? And I think if you just take away our some of our future first and even take away Dylan and Zaire and add OG, I, I still think it's higher. Um, I really do. I think I know, you know, Jenkins is the the biggest proponent of a 10 man lineup. Just just regardless, that's just what he's going to do. Um, but if we ever shrunk that down to like eight or nine and again, the value that we've potentially picked, because I kept thinking, I was like, God, we use so many first round picks this year. Yeah. Like, we're going to have to do something with those. Those guys are going to have to end up playing like we value them in some degree. Right. So like who's to say Roddy doesn't develop into a really good player in a couple of years. If we hang on to Jake LaRavia, like who's to say he doesn't really pop right. in the future too. And like you see Conchar, we've locked him up forever. Who's to say he doesn't marginally improve to become your ninth, 10th man. I just think like comparing ceilings, um, I get the Zaire loss would be pretty big, but I do think adding OG, if you just pluck him in that starting lineup, I think our ceiling increases. 
And the other thing is, I know you kind of talked about earlier, we asked you like, you know, seven to eight year window versus a title now. Like to me, you get a little bit of both of that. And yeah. back to your other point, like I feel like the Dylan time, like we are coming at a crossroads right now. Like we have to make a decision on Dylan right now. We either sign him long term and that's our guy or we're kind of like, I don't know what's next. And I felt like kind of speaking of kicking the can down the road a little bit with OG, we are kind of doing that a little bit, right? A little bit longer contract, see what we got, not this year, but also next. He has a player option after that, so he could clearly get out of that. Um, but I think it, I think it kind of achieves both things, right? I think it raises our ceiling currently, and I think it also raises our ceiling in the future as well. So, I, I mean, I think it makes us better, not now, but also later. Yeah. I think, too, like, you know, it probably, if we were to trade, if we were to keep Dylan, there's an argument that you could just say to him, like, listen, Steven Adams is, like, OG could play four for us. Jaron could be starting at five next year. Like, you could still be a starter. Just stomach this for the playoffs. You're going to play a ton. We won't have to play Tyus as much or whoever, like, Brand Clark. You're going to play a ton. Just stomach this for six months. We will pay you, you know, name your price. We'll pay you. And like, let's just, you know, let's just roll with it. Um, I just get, I, the main thing out of that trade is I don't want to get to a point where we can't, we have to wait until like 2025 to make another pick, you know, like I don't want to trade our 2023, forget the golden state pick, the 2023 and then our 2025 pick. That gets us into, like, we can't make another trade of a first-round pick for a really long time, like, in season. Not that we would want to, but, you know, like, that that gets tough. That gets tough. Now you have to find teams who will give you value. They not only have to want your players, they have to give you value. They have to give you what you want for your players. Going back to the Melton trade, that's why we did the Melton trade. They gave us what we wanted. You know, now we have to find somebody who wants Steven Adams and will give us what they want or whatever. So, sorry, I I think that's a really, that's a really, no, I think that's a really great point that, because I think in my, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, we've got, we've gotten 30th picks before from teams because they'll give them away to us, you know, on draft day. So we don't need that, but it's really the, having that asset as a trade piece going forward that makes it super important. I think that's an awesome point. Yeah. You don't want to turn into the Hawks. The Hawks can't do anything right now. You know, they got to try. They got to find yeah. somebody to take John Collins, and nobody will give them what they want for John Collins, and they're just screwed. <laughs> so, I know we're short on time, so I have one more question uh, about uh, draft picks, actually, and then I think Kraft has a book question, and then we'll we'll get you out on that. Um, so you mentioned the Lakers pick in your uh, your latest column, or, or trying to get a Lakers pick, could you just speak to kind of opportunities there, potentially what that looks like, but then yeah. also as it relates to your competitive with the Pelicans uh, because of that uh, swap that they have with the Lakers. So kind of the conundrum yeah. there, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I really just kind of like had been thinking of a way to screw the Pelicans. <laughs> so like, love that. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got a good rivalry. My wife was asking me who our rival was. I was like, I think it's the Pelicans. I was like, I hate the war. I hate losing to the Warriors, even though I like them, but the Pelicans are the ones that are like, I don't know. I follow a lot of their fans too. That probably doesn't do me any good. Um, so, 
like the Lakers only have, as far as first round picks, they can only trade 20. They've done what we don't want to do, which is they've traded everything until 27 and 29. Those are the only two ones they can trade. And they have some swaps that they could trade until then, but the Pelicans own like slivers of the next few picks. So a bad team, if they're going to acquire a player from a bad team, like the Pistons, the Pistons don't want to pick swap in like next year for with the Lakers because the Lakers are going to be better. So they're not going to be swapping their pick. So if the Pistons, but the Pistons are going to want more than one first round pick for Boyan Bogdanovich. So what you could do is say, hey, you know, we've got our 2023 first round pick. We will give it to the Lakers and they will give it to you. And all we want is a pick swap um, in return. And maybe we have to throw in something else light to like sweeten it. But just using picks, you know, we'll take the pick swap. The Lakers only have to give in their, excuse me, 2027 first. So they preserve the 2029. um, And... That kind of like you're basically trading this year's first for the option to swap, which could end up biting you because what it would have to be, the the Pelicans have a swap this year with the Lakers, meaning the Lakers do not have their pick, but they get the Pelicans pick. Next year, the Pelicans have the right to get the Lakers pick or defer it to 2025. So they have 2024 or 2025. And what the Grizzlies would be wanting is we want to swap picks in the year the Pelicans don't get your pick. So hypothetically, uh, the Pelicans, the Lakers get a really, forget this year, next year, 2024 draft. The Lakers are bad. The Pelicans take their pick. We kick it down to 2025. We have a swap with the Lakers at that point. We've given up our 2023 for that for that right. And then the Lakers suddenly are awesome. <laughs> and we get nothing because they're better than us. So conceivably, like you're trading a first round pick for nothing, but stack those like possibilities on top of each other. And you're probably you're probably giving up a pick in the back five for something around the end of the lottery. In 2024 or 2025, you don't even know which, you know, thing. And there aren't that many teams that would be willing to like do something stupid like that, and probably we're not one of them either. <laughs> but it's it's fun to think about because it would really mess with the Pelicans. Of course, the other thing you'd be doing, the Pelicans have a swap with the Lakers this year. So what you'd be doing is making the Lakers better this year, and like the difference between being the tenth worst team and like the fifteenth is like fifteen percent of being in the top like four. So you really weaken the Lakers or the Pelicans, the Lakers pick, which would go to the Pelicans. So you hurt the, you hurt the Pelicans, which I like. <laughs> All right, Kraft. You have any questions? Oh, that don't make sense. Yeah. I, just gonna ask, I, I feel like <laughs> I, I love, I always, um, because I, because that's a part of the Patreon I like to use when you give out the book Rex. Cause I'm, I love Rex. Uh, but I was going to just ask you for two Rex. One would be, uh, a sports book and mm. I'm going to throw out like basketball obviously, but also I know you're a soccer fan and I'm someone yeah. who loves soccer, but doesn't understand it. Like I understand basketball and some it. people would say I don't understand basketball either, but, uh, but you know, if you have a great book uh, on the, either of those subjects and then my second one would be just uh, 
uh, a great book wreck that you think even someone who's not like really like who, you know, took a lot of literature yeah. class in college or that somebody that you just think is a great book that you would hold up as a great book, but also is just very readable that everybody yeah. would enjoy. So the soccer books that I've read are typically, they're like analytics driven. So, and the problem with the soccer analytics, like the public stuff is that it gets out of date super fast. Um, there's a book called Soccernomics, which was written a while ago, which is still like some of it's outdated, but it's pretty good. I actually just picked up um, Ryan O'Hanlon's book, which he used to write for The Ringer and now writes for ESPN. It's called Net Gains. I haven't read it yet, but I'm pretty intrigued because he's smart and he writes about soccer in like a really uh, it's nerdy, but it's like accessible. So I would I'm excited to get in that one. Net Gains is is one good basketball good. there's a good one i mean seven seconds or less is really good um but there's a there's a book by pat conroy called my losing season and it's uh he was a point guard at the citadel in college and it just it's his memoir of his senior year in college um and it's it's really good i've, I've read it a long time ago but um it always stuck with me it's called my losing season um so those would be the basketball and soccer ones um, and then a recent book, the one that I read last year that is really like, I think is, ex I'll give you a couple. So there's one last year, it was called Sea of Tranquility. It's by Emily St. John Mandel. Um, she wrote Station Eleven, which was turned into like an, it was Amazon or Netflix. That's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite TV shows of okay. two years ago. So I loved that. So um, see if Tranquility. I mean, I heard the written, book's better. I haven't read the book. I had that's the one I haven't read of hers. But See of Tranquility is good, and it picks up on some of the care, not some of the characters, but there's a plague in Sea of Tranquility, and it's set from like the Station Eleven plague, basically. Um, but it jumps around in time. It's really good. There's another book if you kind of like are a sci-fi, not super super sci-fi, but kind of sci-fi. There's a short story collection called uh, Exhalation, and it's by this guy named Ted Chang. He wrote the short story that the movie Arrival is based on. If you like the movie Arrival, Exhalation is really good. Like everybody that I've read that has read that book um, has loved it. So, and it's short stories. So, like, you don't like a story, go to the next one. But there's like three or four that are just awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Those are awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Last, last question. Odds that the Grizzlies uh, do a trade. Like a, like a, a decent sized trade. Right. Um, Cause I think like they could, decent they could find trade. Tillman a spot, you know, and do him a solid for a second or something. So I'm going to say less than 50%, but I think they should. I think they should. I wrote this in Patreon. Like, I think they should make a trade. I think if they're thinking, nah, this is good enough, I'd, I'd, I would prefer an upgrade myself. And that, I mean, y'all know, like, reading my stuff, I'm always thinking about the long term more than the short term. And I just think this is a unique year. Like, you never know. Jock could get hurt next next week, let alone next year. And, like, you know, that's a burned year now. So I just think you need to push your chips in even for a marginal upgrade because marginal upgrades are what win you series. And if the Grizzlies are already good enough to win one or two, 
They just got to win one or two more, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I mean, I would say like 40 percent, 35, 40, but I think they should. I think it should be 60, you know. Well, Matt, you've been more than generous with your time. We really do appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, we will put the Patreon link in our show notes. You should all go and subscribe, and uh, you will have incredible Grizzlies content consistently. So we thank you again for joining us, Matt, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Grizzlies do. <laughs> yeah, guys. Thanks a lot.